Frankenmouth pulls a tombstone out of the ground. The incredible Frankenmouth. <laughs> and knocks down the front door of the church. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. And hey, this is episode 40. 40 episodes. I didn't think we'd get to 10, let alone 40. <laughs> It's great. I'm so excited. Never mind the numbers. I got to say, I've been insane this week alone. Everybody's so bored. Yeah. You know, they're all locked in and twiddling their thumbs and thinking, hey, I want to listen to some Maniacs. We have hit episode 40. Yep. And it's a doozy. Oh, boy, is it a doozy. Second skin. Second sight, not second skin. <laughs> What's second skin? I kept catching myself um, spelling sight, S-I-T-E. <laughs> in my notes. This is the next site, yes. the second site. <laughs> but before we dive into that stuff, you've got some stuff up the so, top. So a couple of things. The Midsummer Murders Global Top 50 of the Awesomeness list continues on. Uh, and I, I got to say, I like this list. They're doing a great job. You agree with it? They make a little video for every number. And, you know, I think the people at Midsummer on the uh, uh, social media team are doing a fantastic job. Yeah. So So what do we got this week? Number 40, Faithful Unto Death, which is episode one, number four, which is probably the weakest episode from from series one. Uh, it's the one with uh, Thursday the, the and mill. the mill yep. and all that stuff. The Oblong Murders is 39, which is the cult one with... Where Jones goes undercover. Yeah, Jones goes undercover and almost has sex. <laughs> and we see his bottom. I think we see his bottom in that episode. <laughs> Uh, 38 is the black book, which is the one about the paintings. The woman goes into the store, the first, and is like, can you sell me this painting? And he's like, oh, I'll give you 50 pounds for the frame. Yeah. And he knows. Joyce is trying to, yeah. to buy the painting for some club or another that yep. she's involved in. Uh, 37 Blue Herrings, season three, episode two. It's which with the nursing home. Which we, it's one of our favorite episodes. 36 Talking to the Dead, which is season 11, episode seven. And the video for, I was like, what is that episode about? And the video shows the thing that everybody knows about that episode. It's the Iron Maiden episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who knows why they're in the manor house? None who, of that's important. It's important that Jones gets, gets closed in a... Jones goes in the Iron Maiden. <laughs> and then goes, sir, sir, let me out, sir. And then number 35, an episode that we have coming up in a few weeks, which is Midsummer Rhapsody. Ah, with the song. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that episode, but it's weird. It has that recreation of the 60s house in it. Yeah. 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 Well, they're all good. There yeah. are no bad episodes no. of Midsummer. No, there no, are no. just better ones. There no. are some that are more fun, right? Yep. So, in addition to the list, we also have a movie to recommend. Yeah, we saw a movie last night that we kind of just picked out of nowhere that was fantastic. It was called Extraordinary. Two words. 
It's an Irish movie. Yeah, it was released about a year ago. Yeah. And no, actually, no, it was made a year ago and released, just released. Ah, that's why we found it, yeah. Yep, let me read the synopsis, which was the best part. (laughs) Like, we read the synopsis and we're like, oh, we have to see this movie. I said, get that movie into my eyeballs right now. (laughs) And we didn't even know it was Irish at that point in time, so... Rose, a mostly sweet and lonely Irish driving instructor, must use her supernatural talents to save the daughter of Martin, also mostly sweet and lonely, from washed up from a washed up rock star who is using her in a satanic pact to reignite his flame, his fame. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so a driving instructor who can talk to the dead helps uh, a woodworking teacher. Martin Martin. His name is Martin Martin. Save his daughter from a, a satanic washed up rock star. And that is a tenth of the and it is So it's so funny. This movie is so funny and so sweet. So it stars Maeve Higgins, who is fantastic mm-hmm. as Rose. And Barry Ward, who we've seen before as Martin Martin. He's uh, been in a couple of things, including Britannia. Yeah. And then Will Forte, an American actor who you, some of you might be familiar with for different things, plays the 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 one hit wonder washed up rock star who's using satanic rituals to try to get his fame back. Yes, <laughs> and his name is Christian Winter. Yeah, it's it's super good. If you need something light and funny that has a, a feel good ending, makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy and awesome. Watch Extraordinary. But it's also like, okay, so I'm always like, I'm not sure I like this movie because it's about real people talking about real things together and nothing actually happens. Like this movie, supernatural stuff is right off the bat. Yeah, like, it just happens <laughs> right off the bat. Everybody completely accepts it yeah. and it's just right away. It's really fun, really yeah. fun. So if you need a, a lift, a pick me up. We recommend it. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. We found it on Amazon Prime, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to get into Second Sight? Uh, I'm having a vision. I'm having a vision of Kurt Cobain. Oh, wait. No. No, No, that's just Max Ransom. That's Max Ransom. (laughs) We have leather pants and shipping forecasts and creepy research and Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif and babies and oh, there's just so much, so much. <laughs> okay, so the cold opening starts with Mal Kirby. Now Mal P- Kirby's played by Owen Teal, mm-hmm. one of our favorite guest actors. He's great, and we call him Chock-a-Block because <laughs> there's a Lewis episode. It's like the third or fourth Lewis episode yes. where he plays a career criminal. He's been just released from prison, and he was uh, he was put in prison for internet crimes. Yes, right. So he's supposed to be this internet diamond crimes. geezer, uh, but internet expert. <laughs> and he says Chock-a-Block no less than. 10 times in that. Yeah, episode. every time he's interviewed in the Lewis episode, he's like, well, you know, the internet's just chock-a-block of information, and if you know how to get it, you can use it. And so we always call him chock-a-block. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Teal also played um, Alistair Thorne in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. um, and he was just recently, and still is, um, one of the leading actors in A Discovery of Witches, which is based on a series of books that are really, really popular. Oh, so cool. He's doing all kinds of good stuff. But in this cold opening, 
he's playing the reclusive uh, Little Mal. Why they call him Little is... Because he's tall, I yeah, guess. which is called Lydates, by the way. If yes. you didn't know the poetic term. Lydates. Um, calling somebody big, little, little Mal Kirby, who is apparently obsessed with the weather. I, I just want to rap on the, on the barometer. It's a scientific instrument. Don't it is. tap it. Don't tap it. <laughs> and he's listening to the shipping forecast and he's taking notes about all kinds of weather measurements, right? And next comes Jimmy Kirby throwing out John Ransom. Now, oh. the character of John Ransom the acting job that that, car- that guy has to do is literally scream and moan and then die. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has to wander around looking a bit drunk and then hold his head and then fall yeah. down dead. Now, yeah. he, does, he does a lot of corpse acting. He does quite a bit of corpse acting. But other than that, he's barely in the episode. Now, Jimmy Kirby, who's Mal Kirby's brother. Yes. Um is the one who is basically forcibly removing him from the pub because he's too drunk. They think he's too drunk. And he's gone to start fights. Yeah. And the pub, ben, which is called The Luck in the World, yeah. which is an aptly named pub. Yes. And Ben Kirby, uh, who is... Okay, so are Mal, Ben, and Jimmy brothers? Okay. Or is Mal their cousin? Mal is their cousin, and Ben is Jimmy's brother. I thought Jimmy said Ben was his cousin. I think they're cousins. Okay. Mal and Jimmy might be brothers. I don't know. They're the Kirbys. The Kirby. This is a a tale of two families, the Kirbys and the Ransoms, right? Yeah. Jimmy Kirby is wearing the leather pants that he wears throughout the entire episode. Uh, That's scary. Big men in leather pants are frightening. I... I, I understand leather pants. Um, he's played by Sean Chapman. Okay. Who has been in a lot of things. Okay. But most notoriously. Notorious. Oh, okay. I played love- Frank Cotton in Hellraiser. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're right. He, he is. He is the character who originally finds the cube. Yes. And summons the Cenobites. Okay. The evil guys in Hellraiser. And then he's ripped apart. Yeah, and then literally, the, then the other guy gets the, and then he's put back together again, and he's evil. He was evil before. His brother Larry Cotton is the good guy in the movies, right? And yeah. so Sean Chapman comes back in. He's in the sequel to Hellraiser as well, oh, playing okay. the same character. Oh, okay. comes back from hell. Hellraiser two. Yeah, I but, saw Hellraiser one in the theater. I don't know about two, I, but his dialogue is completely dubbed. His oh. face is in the movie. He's in the movie, but his voice is not. Because he's supposed to be American. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why they found his American sure accent Clyde, not to be good or something. Or I'm I don't sure know. Clive Barker loved that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having to dub every line of dialogue. Yeah. But I don't remember noticing that when I watched it. I think I saw that movie when it came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was. Probably not old enough to see it. Probably. But you saw it anyway. And... I I can remember going, wow, that's a lot of blood. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Mal's obsession with weather. Okay. Because, so we see him playing with his barometer and everything, but behind that, the radio is playing the shipping forecast. Okay. Now, Brits listening will know exactly what the shipping forecast is, but Americans may not. 
people from other places may not. So the shipping forecast, it's it's been around for 153 years or so. It's a radio broadcast that goes out a few times a day on one station, and it's, it's um, broadcast by the UK Maritime Weather Service, basically. Okay. And it is only ever like 300 words long. It's very concise. Okay. Okay. So the areas around Britain are cut into little pieces that have names. Okay. And what you hear when you listen to the shipping forecast is this wonderful, peaceful voice in this kind of monotone. Mm-hmm. And he says the name of the, the, the zone. So Bloomington. The wind. Southwest. The sea state. Rough. The weather. With rain. And visibility. 16 miles. So what you might hear is Fair Isle Viking, southeast veering southwest, four or five, occasionally six later, thundery, showers, moderate or good, occasionally poor. It's all, there's all a bunch of adverbs in it, isn't there? But they, but they have very specific meanings. Yeah. Right? Uh, to somebody who's not familiar with it, you hear like, cyclonic five to seven good and you think what is that like hurricane yeah no no it just means that there's two wind fronts that are crossing over each other and there's a low depression and so they might turn directions oh okay that's cyclonic right Cyclonic. but the thing about this forecast is that it is it is a like a known thing oh yeah right I mean, if you like, just... B- before I saw this episode, I knew of it. Yeah, you knew of it because you'd heard, you know, I Southeast think probably four or five. some British comedy show doing a skit on it. Oh, there's tons. Yeah. Tons, tons. And so if you, if you want to know more about the shipping forecast, there's a 99% Invisible episode. 99% Invisible is a podcast hosted by Roman Mars. It's really, really it's good. It's a fantastic podcast. It's about the design behind everyday things. Um, and it's episode 316. We'll post a link to it. And it is an episode all about the shipping forecast. and nice. explains how it works and yeah. what you hear. Um, but I love, <laughs> it, the language in it is so economical, right? Yes. It is a code for very specific people to understand that somehow, sometimes you get this weird kind of clash of terms, mm-hmm. right? So something like low rock hall 1000 moving southeast and losing its identity by 0600 tomorrow. <laughs> I'm losing my identity. Or good, occasionally poor. <laughs> What does that mean? If the sea state is super rocky, so you've got wave heights over 14 meters, yeah. it's phenomenal. Oh, yeah, 14 meters? That's, as, <laughs> that, that's get, like as big as a five-story building. I know. You've got smooth, slight, moderate, rough, very rough, high, and phenomenal. Phen- phenomenal. Like it just takes a jump, Yeah. right? And then, like, for the gale warnings, they've got times, right? The time, the the term that you hear, this adjective, is specific. So, if it's imminent, that means in the next six hours. Soon is six to 12 hours. Later is around 12 hours. Perhaps later means there's a chance within the next 12 hours, (laughs) right? So, you can get something like, Gale, perhaps later, 
Phenomenal. Now rising rapidly. Backing. Good. I wonder. Well, I got to listen to that. You got to listen to that 99% Invisible. Because I want to know if they have a computer program that spits this out now. It is still read by a human being. It's read by a human, but... It's collected by a whole bunch of weather observation towers and machines and ships. And this is what you get when you live on an island. Right. That it takes like five hours to drive across. (laughs) But now, if you hear about the shipping forecast, what people are usually talking about, because most people are not at sea. Yes. They hear it, and, and it, the connotation of it now is that it's a something that is boring, but also calming and comforting. It's the farmer's almanac of England. Sort of. Yeah. But like, even when it's saying gale phenomenal, it's still peaceful. Like, that is extremely high wind and 14 meter waves. I wonder if there are, <laughs> this is horrible, but I wonder if there's OCD people that have to listen to it every day. I know that there are people who listen to it to go to sleep. Yeah. There's a YouTube video that is five and a half hours of shipping forecast. I'll put that in the show notes too. <laughs> yeah. And you can just let it play and just fall right asleep to it. It's great. Anyway, so he's li- listening to the shipping forecast making notes on his clipboard from his barometer and from the forecast and from um, all of his various um, weather measuring devices. Yes. Because he has the second sight. Now, okay. Right? Mal has this association with certain weather conditions and something he's seen to be happening in the future. Until the episode where Joyce sees the ghost. (laughs) Yeah. This show is grounded in objective reality. Yes. Okay. There's no UFOs, right? There's no, there's no supernatural stuff at all. This episode, I don't like that Barnaby's like, it doesn't exist. It's, it's objective reality. It, It can't exist. And then five minutes later, he's like, do you have second sight? I'll believe everything you say. Because Mal is the exception to the rule. Everybody else are fakers and tricksters, but Mal is the real thing. Which I don't like because it is not objective reality. I understand that, but I think you're, you're missing a key part of the Romani culture. Yeah. In that whether it's by coincidence or, you know, maybe he's just a good weather forecaster or whatever, there could be reason behind it. It is an important element of that culture. Okay, this is a much better Romany episode than the last one. So we've got Jimmy throwing uh, John out of the bar. Yeah. We've got Mal freaking out about the shipping forecast. Jimmy Kirby has a Born to Kill t-shirt on. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a t-shirt you wear in midsummer. You know what? Jimmy Kirby is a walking fashion accident, as are all of his friends. Definitely is. Those poor extras that had to sit over in the corner of that bar and pretend to be fun and laugh at all of his lame jokes. Everything he says, they're like, ha, 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 ha. You know, Jimmy's like, well, have a beer. It's got bubbles. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, your tie doesn't match your shirt. Ha, 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 ha. I mean, it's the, just, they're just lame. And yeah. they have to wear freaky clothes. You want to know who else is lame? And really, Cully is so lame. Cully is so lame. 
but who should not be in this episode at all because he should not be in business as a oh, Tanner. Tanner. Let's talk about Kali first, right? Because okay. Kali says she's going to take Tom and Joyce out for dinner because she has something to tell them, which, okay, you just don't do that. No, it's skeezy. You can say, hey. I have a great surprise. It's positive. I want to take you out for dinner and tell you. Yeah, you can do that. But if one of our kids said, mom, dad, I have something to tell you, and I'm going to take you out to dinner and tell you. Are you pregnant? Like, no, you're going to tell me right now. Yeah. And if it's worth celebrating, we'll go out to dinner and celebrate. Yeah. But you're not going to drop a bomb on me in a public place. Um, I what need is to know go what out it to is. celebrate? <laughs> I know. People used to go outside and eat places, in, other places. In the before time, before yes. the apocalypse, people used to go outside of their houses to eat. Yes. I know you have forgotten that completely, because I certainly have. There, it used to be a thing that people did. So then we get George. <laughs> This is one of my favorite George lines. George has such a, he takes this line and enjoys every single word He's of it. He's telling Tom about the clear contact points on John Ransom's head. Okay. So John Ransom dies there from a fight. It seems Yeah, the cops come. They're like, what's going on? And he's pulled away into autopsy. And as soon as George sees these contact points on his head where some kind of electricity has been used on his skin, he knows that it's not just a fight, right? No. And he says to Tom, it's as if somebody deep fried his brain. Deep fried his brain. (laughs) But the way he delivers the line. I think. They deep fried his brain. I think that actor. The, if you asked him, this might be his favorite line. <laughs> he just relishes saying no, it. He says, <laughs> a couple episodes ago, he got to say, what knickers? Yes. <laughs> but this deep fried brain. As the police roll into town, this is in Midsummer Mirror. As they roll into town down the main street, which I think is called Fortunate Way or something like that. Yeah, all the street names are on the nose for important stuff and everything yeah Yeah. to the crime scene did you see the nosy kid on the bike no (laughs) oh this guy's gotta go in the show notes though so there's a kid on a bike he's wearing a school uniform and he's just biking away and then a cop car goes oh yeah that's right he turns around and follows the cop and then when the second one goes by he turns around and follows them and then later when they're on the green where john was found He's in the background behind like a cordon. Yeah. Still on his bike, but straddling his bike, standing around. He's just craning his head around. He was like, oh, he's clearly somebody's kid. Dude, what's going on over there? Like, like, did he not go to school so he could rubberneck or was he on his way somewhere else? I I guess so. He's a fun extra. The kid with the deep fried brain is part of the Ranson family. Right. Who live at the big house. Yes. For this episode. Ransom House, which used to be a private asylum. And really still is. Kind of. Because <laughs> they're all you, loonies. I'll tell you another thing it is. It's a boys club in there. Yeah. So John, his brother, uh, Kurt Cobain, and Max. His, oh, sorry, Max. And his dad. Gregory. All, all live there. Yeah. With no explanation of how any of those people were born or married. No. No mother is ever spoken of. No. I mean, we hear about his wife later. 
because we know John is not actually Gregory's son. Yes. But Emma, their sister, clearly got out of there as soon as she could. She was like, this is an all boys club. I'm out of here. Oh, and there's an evil laboratory in the basement. Okay. I want no part of that. Can you blame her? So this comes from this notion of gentleman scientist, right? Mm -hmm. That Gregory Ranson is somehow connected to some university somewhere. Reading his books on psychology and the paranormal, the book that Barnaby looks at by Dr. Helen Player does not exist. Not a real book. There's no woman named Dr. Helen Player in the world. (laughs) Well, I would be very surprised if there was a textbook or research book called Psychology and the Paranormal. Yes, it's it's wrong. Yeah. And so he and his son. Now, do you think Max has a PhD? No. He's too young. Well, he's got all those records to make. He does all the experimenting. You know, but Gregory Ransom helped invent the polygraph. Yeah, so about that. Which, by the way, I'm sitting four feet away from a polygraph machine as we record. We have one right here in our house. We have a polygraph machine. Because we're that weird. (laughs) To which your question must be, why do you have a polygraph in your house? When I was doing my PhD, I was studying deception and how deception was happened and recorded and done online. And we saw a Craigslist entry for somebody who had a polygraph machine for a hundred bucks. And we ran over that place and bought it. Yes. It's, it's huge. The it's, most- it's five feet tall and full of tubes and has the paper and the little wire that scrawls across yeah. it and everything. It's excellent. And, and we stopped threatening to hook our kids up to it years ago. Yes. Because <laughs> we're good parents. <laughs> so I didn't even go in. I, I was like, when I wrote the notes that he somehow invented the polygraph, I'm like, I wrote, no, he didn't. Don't talk about polygraphs for an hour. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about polygraphs or lie detection for an hour, but I'm simply going to say Dr. Gregory Ransom had nothing to do with it. The idea is that he also studied brain function. Which has nothing to do with a polygraph. No. No, it's all galvanic response and yes. heart, heart rate, heart rate and, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. But Max is studying brain waves. So anyway, it's this idea of the gentleman scientist who is so rich, he doesn't need to get funding so he can perform his own research. And he doesn't have to bother with having a day job either. Doesn't right? have to have a day job. Now, if you've done anything or know anything about university research, you understand that is highly regulated. Yes. For good reason. To do a survey, you have to fill out forms telling the people who review this sort of thing, you're not going to experiment on people. Yeah. And it's needed. Yeah. Because Because there are people who would do what Max does if there wasn't that kind of protocol. Yes. What they're doing is still illegal. Yes. <laughs> not only is it bad science, it's actually illegal it's to torture o- people it's like this. not only unethical, it's illegal. Like Barnaby should be hauling their ass away right away. So Max is trying to induce precognition, right? Yeah. He claims that alpha waves which are, in fact, a mid-range wave. Your brain creates five different kinds of measurable waves. Yes. Alphas are in the middle. 
And they're associated with things like being um, aware but unfocused, like when you're meditating. Yes. Right? And there are some very small studies, like with sub, like 20 subjects at a time. Yes. That suggest that if you can increase your alpha waves, you can increase your creativity or your calmness. Now, I remember another study that I saw where there was a doctor... Venkman. <laughs> Peter Venkman? Yes. And Ghostbusters? Yes. Yes. This whole scene has Ghostbusters written all over it. Especially when Max um, predicts what cards are in the stack when Tom yeah. flips them over. Like, there are only three cards sitting there. Of course he knows what's on them. <laughs> so the idea is that he Max puts the subject inside a Faraday cage. Yes. And measures their alpha waves and then tests their precognition. But what he's actually doing is giving them electric shocks to encourage them. So he's punishing them, basically, like Peter Venkman did in Ghostbusters. If you get the question wrong, you get a shock. Now, I, like Scott, am stupid and from the streets. Faraday? Faraday who? (laughs) He invented the Faraday cage in 1836. His name Michael Faraday. And he was one of these gentlemen scientists. Everybody listening to this podcast has a Faraday cage in their house right now. What is a Faraday cage in your house? Well, if you've ever ridden on a plane, yeah. you've been in a Faraday cage. Yeah. If you've ever had an MRI, yeah. MRI rooms are Faraday cages. But the Faraday cage that you have in your home is your microwave. It's an inverted Faraday cage. Oh. Instead of preventing waves from coming in, it prevents waves from going out. Which so is... that when you stand next to your microwave, your innards don't get cooked. Uh, but the Wi-Fi goes off. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It messes with your Bluetooth. Too. If I wear my headphones next to the microwave. It's always weird to me that our bathroom, the back of it, is against the microwave. Well, the, it shares a wall. Yeah. The microwave's on the other side I'm of the wall. I'm always worried about my bits being cooked. <laughs> You've never admitted that before. No, and I'm going to cut that part from the website, from the podcast. Oh, you shouldn't cut that. <laughs> but the idea of the Faraday cage is that it means that when Max is supposedly measuring brainwaves inside the cage, he's not accidentally picking up any other kind of like radio waves or anything else that might mess with his readings. He's torturing people for money. Yes, he <laughs> it's is. It's illegal. Yes. He's, he's paying them, what, 200 pounds or 100 pounds? I don't know. And, and, and all of the... Um, all the people in the bar have scars in their heads. Well, from it, being it as guinea smells, pigs. Smells like teen spirit, probably. Oh, will you stop? <laughs> uh, so Max Ransom is okay. played by Joe Anderson. Before we get to that, I have a problem with the first time they come to the house. Okay. Okay. So Gregory doesn't care that his kid is dead because he knows he wasn't his son. Let's go over the day before. All right. John is in the cage getting his brain deep fried. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it, this is the, the conceit of the show. Because he's been in the cage getting his brains deep fried, right? Mm-hmm. He's all pepped up on the alpha waves. Yep. And he goes to Lol Tanner's. And places a bet. Places a bet on a horse. I'll have the horse name in a second here. And wins. Wins 6,000 pounds. Which now, he goes destroys to Law Tanner's business. He goes to <laughs> he goes to town, okay, in the car. 
It's a Lotus, by it's the way. It's a Lotus. It's a yellow Lotus Super 7 from the 60s or 70s. They're worth about 50K. So now he comes back home, leaves the money in the car. Mm-hmm. And then walks back into town. Walks back into town and then gets drunk and fighty. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't understand. He's a responsible drinker. He's not going to drive. And how did he buy his drinks if he didn't have all old Tanner's money? I don't know. Maybe he already had 20 pounds in his pocket. Also, you should not be taking a bet that's going to destroy your business. Yeah. <laughs> a good bookie knows that every, every bet could be a winner and you've got to be ready to cover it. And if you can't cover it, you, you shouldn't don't be taking it. the bet. You don't take the bet. Anyway, Lol Tanner is a whole other thing. Okay. But we were talking about Max. Max trying to sneak away in his lab coat. <laughs> He's played by Joe Anderson, who recently has been in a ton of American stuff. He like was what? in The Crazies, which is a remake of a Romero movie yeah. about a town that goes super violent because of something in the water. Yeah. He was in Hannibal. He's been in a lot of things. You, you've seen him all over the place. And he doesn't look anything like Kurt Cobain anymore because he mostly has facial hair now. Oh, Okay. So you can stop calling him Kurt. Okay. You're not going to, but you could. <laughs> so after they talk to Max, they go to the other sibling, Emma. Yes. Who's Emma Kirby now because she's married to Kirby. So, and Barnaby makes a Starcross lovers, Romeo and Juliet joke that no one gets no. in this episode. <laughs> Nobody seems to get it. Yeah. But she says that everybody except her and her husband, Ben, wanted to postpone their baby's christening. Yeah. Their baby who is six months old already. Yes. Christine. Yes. But she has the second sight because anytime Max is near, she cries. Because Max is the world's worst hider. Yes. <laughs> you imagine them playing hide and seek when they were kids and he's in his Max bike. is over there. He's hiding in the bushes in his white lab coat when he's five. You're like, can't find me. And John's like, I got the second sight. He's on the third floor of the second room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Max is like, <sighs> with his lab coat on. Why does everybody always catch me? So Emma and, and Ben are Christians. Yes. And, and they're the only non-heathens in town, apparently. Well, except for Preacher Pete. There is Preacher Pete, a.k.a. The Killer. The Killer. Crazy Pete, Preacher Pete, he who's there for a limited time only. He chooses his commandments at will. Oh, yeah. Whatever suits him is what he's going with. Okay. Um, but it's clear Emma does not think a whole lot of her family. Ew. Or of the Kirby family either. No, she wants nothing to do with any of these people who none of them have a job except for Lowell Tanner, who has now lost his job. No, Jimmy works at the pub. Jimmy, uh, does he own the pub no. or work? No, he just no. works there. The pub would be owned by a brewery. Yeah. And he would be the manager of oh, the pub. Okay. okay. Right? That's why when the new fruit machine comes in, it has nothing to do with him. That's the brewery swapping out fruit machines. Okay. If you don't know, a fruit machine is, it's... Like a slot machine. It's a, slot it's a gambling machine. machine. Yeah. Yeah. That they can have in a pub. Yeah. Putting a fruit machine in that pub is like putting an oven-ready turkey amongst a nest of crocodiles. Yes. That's what Lil Tanner said. Quite the metaphor. Because, <laughs> you know. Crocodiles all, love cooked meat. They're all psychics in there. I looked to see what Lil Tanner's name would be. Like, is Lil short for something? Yes. I could find nothing. Lol. Lol. 
His name is Lowell. <laughs> He's laugh out loud Tanner. Or, lo- or lots of love Tanner. <laughs> yeah, like every time I read his name somewhere, I was like, Lowell. 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 But I mean, the, the big bet so undoes Lowell that he puts plywood over the door of the. Yeah, he like just shutters up. He just shuts the farm and moves in with Romany Rose and her caravan. And I was once again going. Sporting events? What are they? (laughs) So the horse he bets on, because it's on the betting slip, is Palmero C. Okay. It's at the three o'clock race, and he puts 500 pounds on it. Where did John Ranson get 500 pounds in cash? I don't know. And because if his brother is paying him to deep fry his brain, that is illegal, unethical, and... Gross. (laughs) Gross. <laughs> so he went in the Faraday cage five times to make enough money to place this bet. He, the the race was at 3 p.m. and it pays 12 to 1 and he won 6K. And undoes Lowell Tanner. Yeah. Who is as skeezy as the day is long. Yeah. I don't know about betting shops in small villages. I don't know if it's a thing. They're chains. I would think that that there couldn't be like you had to have a certain amount of people to keep in business. Yeah, and they're regulated. Yeah. It's it's like buying a lottery ticket here. Yeah. So then we go back to the pub. Yes. And because Scott is wearing a tie that he found in his pocket, he's not sure if it matches his shirt. Man it doesn't. Died. Put a tie on. Jimmy Kirby criticizes his tie. Now, Jimmy Kirby is standing there in a button-up shirt that doesn't fit him. Nope. So it's not buttoned over a scraggy t-shirt in the same leather pants he wears every day. And he's making fun of somebody's tie. Yeah. Like, really? Got no place to talk. Never mind the extras in the background have crap clothes, too. Oh, they got, like, grandma sweater vests on with weird scarves. It's and I, I just I don't, I don't know what they were trying to do there. You know, Romany. Yeah, because that's the way they all dress. Yeah. That's fair. Except for Rose. Yeah, because Rose dresses like Stevie Nicks. But apparently puts it out like Stevie Nicks, too. <laughs> so Romany Rose has her caravan in the middle of the village green. So that she can go in and say like two words in an interview and give Barnaby a clue. So... I wanted to know if she could actually have her caravan there. Okay. Because nobody says, like, she needs to move on or anything. No. And she's got clotheslines out and her little sign out. Barnaby is only concerned that she has a little sign out. And that it's fraudulent. Yeah. Not that she's got a business. Because it says that she had spoke to the crown. The the crowned heads of Europe. Yeah. Right? There is a specific act in the UK. Okay. About this that we didn't talk in the uh, talk about in the earlier Romany episode that we covered because it was crap. The Caravan Sites and Control of Development Act of the ni- of 1960. Ooh, that needs an update. Um, which is also the same legislation that defines the word gypsy as a legal term in the UK. Oh my! Most people now think that the word gypsy is a slur. Yeah. You know, and so you would refer to these people as travelers or as Romany, if that's where they're actually from. Yes. Which they may not be. Yes. But in the Caravan Sites and Control of Development Act of 1960, gypsies are defined as the following. Okay. Wait on me. 
Persons of nomadic habit of life, whatever their race or origin, but does not include members of an organized group of traveling showmen or persons engaged in traveling circuses, traveling together as such. The definition does include groups as New Age travelers as well as Irish travelers and Romani. So if you're in a traveling circus, you're not a gypsy. No. But if you're New Age, Irish, or Romani, you're a gypsy, apparently. And if you're a band that travels around, like doing a tour, you're not a gypsy. That's right. You're not a gypsy. You can park your caravan. As long as it's not blocking a road around private land, you can park it. Yeah. Things that would never happen in the United States. But what if you're a New Age band on tour? I don't know. Like that guy from the last Yeah, then which rules apply? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, or what if you're a Romany circus? Ooh, Romany circus. I think that's a hammer horror film. A hammer horror film? Yeah, Romany circus of blood. Speaking of that, we just mentioned Rose, Romany Rose. She's played by Wanda Ventham. Yeah. Wanda is awesome. Okay. okay? (laughs) Tell me about Wanda. You say that she's an unimportant character in this episode, and she may be, but she is an important cameo. Because Wanda Ventham is incredible. She's been in all kinds of stuff, but you know me, I go back and I look at early stuff to find the freaky things in actors' histories. Absolutely. She was in a a movie with Peter Cushing. Okay. It's not a a Hammer movie, but it's called The Blood Beast of Terror. Oh yeah, I've seen that. It's on a train. No. Oh. No. She plays the daughter of a scientist. Well, I don't know if she's really his daughter because he built her sort of Oh yeah, she yeah, can yeah, switch yeah, yeah. between being a moth and a girl. Yeah, and when she's a moth, she kills people. Yeah, I remember this movie now. <laughs> but she was also in this great uh, TV series called UFO. Okay, that was about this like government organization that protected the Earth from aliens, but also it was kind of like Starfleet. Like they had some allies that were aliens, but their job was to protect the Earth. This. The show was popular, 70 to 71, 1970 Ooh, okay. to 71. Okay. Yeah. And we'll put a link in the, show notes. in the show notes here because the entire crew wear fishnet shirts. Wow. Even the women. Oh, awesome. No wonder it was popular. Yeah. <laughs> I could not figure out what they have on underneath them. But whatever it is, it's made to look like they're nude underneath these shirts. Wow. This is this is like that time traveling wizard show. Yes. <laughs> but she also plays Benedict Cumberbatch's mom in Sherlock. She's Mrs. Holmes. That's right. She is. She's been in all kinds of things. Yep. She's fantastic. But the Blood Beast Terror is <laughs> wow. Yeah. I watched the clip. I'm like, wow. Oh. When when they when she transforms from being a woman to a moth. It's quite fantastic. I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> oh, and then Pete's polishing his candlesticks. Yeah, so there are three forces here, right? The Ransons doing their weird experiments. The Kirbys, who are Romany and look like they have superpowers, but actually don't. Yep. Except for Mal. Right. Who does. And then the church with Pete. Preacher Pete. And his candlesticks he's been sent there to save midsummer mirror right because everybody knows it's controlled by the scientists and the second ciders 
And so they're both heathen groups. And so he's there to bring Christianity back to Midsummer Mere. Killing people is not a way to bring Christianity to people. It depends who you ask and when. I'm just saying. There were long, long periods of time when that was the case. Just saying. Crusades. Pete goes about it the wrong way. He does go about it the wrong way. (laughs) He almost takes ownership of Emma and Christine. like, Like they're his. Also, he's preaching Pete, the electrician vicar. He's a bad electrician. Yeah, because he rewires the Faraday cage. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he wants it to kill somebody. That's not a way to get people to be Christian. He, he wants to undermine the scientific part of the village, which he doesn't need to do. Nobody thinks that the Ransoms are like, you know, awesome scientists. Illegal and unethical already. Yeah, I mean, they've tortured half the village. Everybody knows it. And everybody knows it. Yeah, he doesn't need to undermine them. Yeah. Pete is played by Will Keane. Yeah. He's married to Maria Fernandez Ake, who is Captain Inez in the Majorca Files. Oh. The the lead policewoman in the Majorca Files. Not the leader, not the star of the show. No, but the, their boss. Their boss. Oh, she's a crazy lady. <laughs> yeah. They're married and have been for a long time. He was recently in Wolf Hall. He was in The Crown. He was in His Dark Materials. He plays Father McPhail in His Dark Materials, like the lead bad guy. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But he's also Gan Mac Treehallet in The Color of Magic. Oh. The okay. Terry Pratchett miniseries, Color of Magic. Okay which is awesome. And here's something weird. Gregory Ransom, Jeffrey Whitehead is the actor's name. Yes. He was also in a Terry Pratchett miniseries. He was in Johnny and the Dead. Oh, okay. Cool. I love love Terry Pratchett. I don't know if we've seen Johnny and the Dead. Have we? Uh, You haven't. Okay. I have. Okay. Um, I love Terry Pratchett. I just thought it was Terry Pratchett's fantastic. And Jeffrey Whitehead, Gregory Ransom, played Sherlock Holmes. From 79 to 80. In what? Uh, Sherlock Holmes. He was Holmes in a Sherlock Holmes series from 79 to 80. Oh. Never seen them? No. No. And he's totally overwhelmed by Jeremy Brett. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is no other real. Yeah. That's it. It's Basil Rathbone, Jeremy Brett. Or nobody. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Nobody yeah. Else, mat- nobody yeah. else matters, right? Okay. So then the dad gets killed. Right. Gregory gets shoved down the stairs into the basement. And then, like, okay. And the, pol- and the electrician that the police sent to look at the Faraday cage finds him. Yes. <laughs> That's a tough day on the job. So Barnaby goes home, and they're talking about this Cully thing, because Cully has told them that she wants to go be on tour with a bunch of traveling actors who are doing it for educational purposes. So they're not gypsies. No. Okay. Because they're, they're doing a job. Okay. And this has Joyce freaked out. But, but Mark Costin was never meant to be a way of life. Not for (laughs) Collie. That's what she says. But she's there all the time. (laughs) Joyce just wants her to be happy. Then why does she just not let her go? And of all of the, weird half-assed jobs that Cully's had. Why is Joyce worried about this one? Yeah. (laughs) Why wasn't she worried when 
she came by with some strange dude and a cat before going on tour in Eastern Europe. Like, she didn't seem to care then. No. Why does Mal walk around the village with a shovel? I don't know. <laughs> My first note of Mal is, where is he? Go- What's he going to dig up? <laughs> they never explain what no, he's doing with the shovel. he has a shovel. He seems to be on a mission. So Barnaby, at his house, goes up into the attic. Yes. Because he thinks that he's seen Mal before. Yes. And so he's going to look through his old clippings and stuff to see if he can find it. But of course, he looks through old pictures of Bergerac. <laughs> because John Nettles is so handsome. And he is han- he's still handsome, but he was so, a good looking guy back so, then. So John Nettles was in a show before this called Bergerac, where he plays a detective. Is it on one of the Channel Islands? I don't know. I think it. there's something to do with boats and water. I yeah. Think, so. But not uh, up in the cold. No, but no, not that the Channel Islands are between France and England. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking not of the, the Shetland the Islands. Fair, yeah, sorry. Wrong <laughs> islands. Very different. Very different. And he finds a magic box, but by the magic box is another box that sends me on this huge <laughs> adventure. <laughs> Because he's digging through the attic and there's like old, what, like board games and stuff like that. Yes. And he pulls out this magic kit that's like a bunch of tricks in a box. And the bo- the box that he moves is Omar Sharif teaches you 258. I only know Omar Sharif as an actor. He's an Egyptian actor who and was he, in Lawrence of Arabia. He's known for teaching bridge. Yes. So in the early 70s, Omar Sharif was kind of the king of board games. It was seen as a elegant, sophisticated thing to do, to sit at home and play your board games. Okay. It was certainly an active privilege. And if you notice, um, there's a board game called Mastermind, not the show Mastermind, the show, this board game called Mastermind, which was popular in the 70s and 80s, where you had to move little colored pegs and guess. Mm -hmm. But that, that board game has like, a sophisticated white dude who's the mastermind and some lithe woman who is his pet. Right. On the, on the, on the, box. On the cover. Yeah. And this is all the same sort of thing. 258 is a qu- totally new skill and strategy game. A modern battle where two players attack and counterattack across a field of gold. Ooh. Sophisticated. Now, you might say, what comes in the box? Is it like chess? Sort of. In the box, you get a big plastic board, the playing pieces, and the rules. It says so on the outside of the box. As if it's exciting that the rules are also included? Yes. Okay. It's a game for two players, eight and up. There's also some ba- um, badminton rackets there. But then I was like, didn't Omar Sharif teach you bridge? So Omar Sharif teaches bridge is a book. And, and a syndicated column in newspapers. Yeah, it's a teaching system. Yes. Okay. So then I was like, how did an actor get into bridge? Yeah. How does he go from being a famous actor to It's the other way around. Oh. Omar Sharif was on the Olympic bridge team for Egypt. What? In the 1964 Bridge was an Olympic event. Olympiad. Oh, so it wasn't an Olympic sport. No. It was just called the Olympiad. Yeah. The World Bridge So he came to prominence as a bridge player. Yes. And then started acting. Yes. Okay. And he had a touring show in which he called 
and I'm bringing it all home now. In 1967, he formed Omar Sharif's Bridge Circus to showcase (laughs) bridge around the world. And those people are not gypsies. (laughs) Omar Sharif's traveling bridge circus is allowed to park its caravan where it wants. (laughs) Touring this sentence. Touring through Europe. (laughs) The circus attracted thousands of spectators who watched the matches via Bridge-O-Rama, a new technology (laughs) and and predecessor to the modern view graph that displayed the bidding and card play on television monitors. It's wow. So people sat on stage and played cards. And they had some camera aimed at the table. Yes. That was then broadcast to larger screens so people could watch. That has got to be the most effing boring thing <laughs> I can imagine Especially sitting through. Especially bridge. Bridge is a game in which the rules change every time someone explains them to me. I think they make it up. It's, it's all to do with rubbers. I know that. It's clearly <laughs> a made-up game like cricket. <laughs> Also, Omar Sharif teaches you Quo Vidas, a game with two players, ages eight to adult also. So he had a line of games. <laughs> and I can only imagine the, the group of people who were part of the Traveling Bridge Circus <laughs> that Omar Sharif and his exotic handsomeness probably stood out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like sexiest man in the chess club kind of standing out. Now think about this. This is 1967 in Britain, right? So the Beatles are doing Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. The Rolling Stones are doing His Majesty's Satanic Service. And then there's Omar Sharif teaching bridge. Omar Sharif going around the country to teach bridge. To a completely different audience. With bridge O'Rama. It must have been like... People in their 40s and 50s who played bridge, you know, at the country club or with the neighbors, and they're going to see the rock star Omar. If you attended the bridge circus, please tell us. (laughs) Could not believe that when I read that. Oh, boy. Just kept getting weirder and weirder. (laughs) Meanwhile, Lowell Kirby sneaks in the house and steals the money. Oh, Lil Tanner. Yes, Lil Tanner. Sneaks yeah, he takes back his six grand. Money. He's so... Yeah. He's the worst criminal and worst bookie ever. Yes. The whole time, Mal is in the background becoming more and more agitated. Like, And Max cannot hide anywhere. No, he's trying to play hide and seek again and just sucks, right? I don't know how Mal supports himself. I don't know how any of these people support themselves, except for Jimmy. Jimmy's the only person with a job. Jimmy's got a job. Rose makes some money from people. And the Ransoms, I guess, are independently wealthy because Gregory did so well. But what does Ben Kirby do? What does Emma Kirby do? Ben Kirby is an electrician. Okay. He's supposedly a very good electrician. He sucks at being not suspicious. However, in all the scenes in Ben and Emma's house, there is this atrocious fire hazard craziness in the hallway up on the wall. (laughs) That's like, it looks like if somebody put a security system and a breaker box without a box, just the breakers and a fuse board, and then put some extension cords between them and put it up on the wall. Do you think they put it there just to be like, well, he's an out, he's a 
Undertaker. So let's put some co- coffins up beside the building here. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be like mysteriously or elect- work electric in progress. or something impressive that he's done. You notice something else about all the interiors of this room, of this show. Mm. What did you notice? Oh, well, I noticed that there are tons of horse brasses everywhere. Horse brasses? What's a horse brass? They're in the pub up on the um, beams. And yeah. you especially see them in, in Mal's house, okay. right? They're on his, in his kitchen, on his fireplace mantle. So horse brasses are, they're, they're brass. They're trinkets. They're um, about like three to four inches across. They're circular. They have a little slot in the top for a strap to go through. Yeah. And they're, they're, ornamental things that you put on a horse they're like horse medallions yes and they date all the way back to pre-roman times and they were mostly bronze back then but the idea is that they are good luck charms right so these date back to a time when a horse was a family's biggest most expensive asset it's like a car at that point more important than that right it was your livelihood. Yeah. You couldn't plow a field. You couldn't take your couldn't crops to market yeah. without a horse, right? And so you wanted to protect the horse. And so these horse brasses, if you you see some of them, sometimes they're hung like on the bridle on the side. Yeah. Sometimes you see them on, so they sit on the horse's forehead. Yes. But they're a big Romany thing. Okay. And... So I think seeing them in the pub and in Mal's house is to remind us of like this superstition yeah. that runs in this culture. Um, but the more I looked at it, so there's one thing I could not understand. So every place I looked said that like in the, the pre-Roman and Roman horse brasses had things like stars and moons on them. Okay. Um, yeah. They were symbols of gods and goddesses that were being evoked for protection of the horse. But once the Romanies move in from Persia in the 11th century, they bring something very similar and that turns into horse brasses. And they're known for having diamonds, hearts, clubs. Spades. And spades on them. Ah. But the Romanies didn't invent card suits. Those are a French thing. So the circus that did bridge with cards. Yes. <laughs> are not gypsies, but the symbols on the cards are used in horse brasses. In Romany horse brasses, but, but have no, no link with card suits. But... Everything in this episode is connected. Everything is connected. There's a conspiracy going on. But then you get these these Romany guys in the bar who can read cards, predict cards, you know, use their second sight to read cards. So playing cards are an important part of gambling. And so they're an important part of being able to be, you know, have precognition so and make Tom, money off of gambling. Tom reads the cards in the magic box because they're marked. Yes. Jimmy reads them because there's a mirror behind him. Yes. And Mal reads them. And Max them. reads them because he's memorized them. Mal is the only one who reads them because he's psychic. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Just go with it. He saved a bunch of kids. We haven't even talked about that. I know. We need to get to that. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, that's what Mal's whole life is. That was a turning point in his life. So the idea is that Mal was on his tractor. He's just a farmer. Yep. He's on his tractor and he has a vision. Right. That of the future. Yep. And in and that future. takes off running. In that future, a bunch of kids are going to get killed. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Buy a truck. Right. So, and this is a problem with the episode. So he sees that future. Mm-hmm. And he goes and saves those children. Now, yep. included in those children... Are uh, Ben and Emma. Ben and Emma. Possibly when they meet. Well, Ben and Emma were students. Yeah. But that's when Mal met Mrs. Ransom, who's the school teacher. And that's the the union that John is the fruit of. Yes. That's the only time we get to see Mrs. Ransom. Is in a picture. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the reenactment of the accident. Yes. Where Mal's running around in a Frankenstein wig, by the way. <laughs> it's horrible. The worst wig. <laughs> this is young Mal in a bad wig. Now. He saw the vision of the children dying, and he changed it. Yeah. But later on, he says he sat down in the village green and saw till his life's end, right? And he says he was going to die in the door of the churchyard, and of the During church. During a storm. Yes. Why couldn't he change that? He did. He didn't die. Exactly. <laughs> so why is he so stressed? Because he thinks he's going to die. But he knows he can change it. But he doesn't know if he'll be successful. But he knows there's a possibility of changing. He's like, oh, I know how exactly I'm going to die. But then, and I think we see this point when he knows he has a choice. He cannot go to the church and live, but who knows what's going to happen to Emma and Christine. But he has to go to the church. But he has to go to the church because he's a good person. Yes. Even if it means he's going to die. So the two, three bad guys in this episode are science. Mm Mm-hmm. Superstition. The church. And church. And the army, who almost kill a bunch of children. Yeah, because they stop to ask directions and don't put the emergency brake on. They can't put an emergency brake on a giant truck. Hey, but that is an awesome reenactment. Yeah. They they built that little room onto an existing building just so they could run that truck into it. And they did a good job. I'm going to say, I told you this already, best dead body, that building. I like Mal. Oh, I do too. I think his character is super interesting and nuanced and important. And I don't care if he's really psychic or not, because he's just a good person and he's suffering because he's good. And we know he's a good person because 10 years before, Barnaby as a PC, right? Mal was accused of a murder. Because Mal was just commit. near there. Yeah, that he had nothing to do with, and Barnaby was was key in getting him released. Because they were fishing, and Barnaby knew it, and yep. Barnaby did the right thing. He put his so, career on the line. So Mal and Barnaby are the moral center of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, then Max dies. <laughs> yeah, he just gets whacked with a tree limb. Why does the priest kill Max? Because Max represents science and he's he he wants to get his hands on Christine because he knows that she's psychic. Like he kills John because he wants the baptism to stop. Right. And he kills the dad because he catches him screwing around. Yeah, he basically kills him by accident. He just shoves him and he dies. But then now Pete's got a taste for it. (laughs) (laughs) He's looking for blood. And Max who Max's death is not even shown. No. His body is not shown. It was like uh, that Max actor has to go. So yeah. can we just kill he, him he's off? He's got an appointment somewhere. So Christine is important. So Christine is the baby that is at the center of all of this. Who right? also has the second sight. Yes. Because 
she cries. Okay, babies cry all the time. But there's one brilliant scene where that baby, close up, is bawling her brains out and then just stops. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. I was intrigued by that. Yes. And so I went looking. For baby actors. I went looking for what they do with baby actors. <laughs> because one of the kids, when we were watching this episode, just it, recently rewatching it, said, how do they make a baby cry? And I thought, oh, they probably just like pinch their leg a little bit yeah. or something. No, no, they're not allowed to do that. No, no. Not at all. By so, the way, if this involves cards, bridge, Omar Sharif, or gypsies, or circuses. No, it okay. doesn't. You're okay. okay. Christine is played by twins. Mm-hmm. Lauren and Aaron Oliver. Which is common with child actors. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. We have three children that are triplets that don't look anything alike. No, I couldn't have made any money off of them when they were babies. There's no way I could have swapped them out for anybody. Nope. All of the infant actors in the UK are basically provided by one agency called Jam 2000. Jam 2000. (laughs) I don't know why they're called Jam 2000. (laughs) Jam a Jam 2000. (laughs) But they are the leading supplier of baby actors in the UK. Okay. That sentence gets worse until it gets to actors. (laughs) The leading supplier of baby actors. Actors. There we go. And that doesn't really make it much better. No. Okay. Like they they supply all of the babies for Call the Midwife. Okay. Which, as you can imagine, has a lot of babies in it. Yes. A lot of babies. Yeah. Right? They have all kinds of tricks. Okay. Okay. So, Jam 2000. Yes. Basically invented the process of hiring actors before they're born. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, it's crazy, but it makes sense, right? So if you're going to shoot a movie or a TV show and you need a newborn. And you know, like six months ahead of time. Right. And you know... If you're going to have a baby, you kind of know approximately when it's going to happen. And it's got to be a newborn because these shows where the baby comes out and it's like, Harry, uh, that's a toddler. Yeah. (laughs) So, and there's no law about this. Like babies can work from like a day old. As long as a doctor signs off and says they're healthy and fine. Yeah. They can work. Okay. So, so what these agents do is they find People who are about to have babies. Are, are you knocked up? And they sign them up. Would you, would you like to be signed up? No. It gets even weirder. Okay. They especially want people who are about to have twins or triplets. <laughs> Not just because they've got a second baby to swap, right? They can hire the two yeah. babies. Yeah. So if one gets tired and cranky, they can swap them out. Yeah. But because if they're doing a newborn, they actually want an underweight baby. Yes. Because the camera adds weight. Yes. Right? So a regular, a singleton newborn born at eight pounds is going to look like a 10-pound baby on TV. They look much bigger. So they recruit mothers of (laughs) twins or triplets because they know they'll have like six-pound babies who for the first (laughs) few weeks will look like newborns. So I am just imagine these agents like hanging around fertility clinics going, hey, you're pregnant. My name's Omar Sharif. Yeah. You want to make some money off those babies? I know yeah. they're not born yet, but I want to hire them. <laughs> right? So, if and this is a quote. Okay. If a show wants a birthing scene, they always want babies as small as they possibly can get them. Because on TV, you can have an eight-pound baby that looks 10 pounds. Twins are more likely to be premature on average by three weeks. Triplets more so by seven <sighs> weeks. 
And so we recruit mothers before their babies are born. Babies can only work five hours a day. Only. And I they, wish our children worked five hours a day. They work in 30-minute windows. Okay. And when a real baby won't work because of what they're going to do, okay. they've got prosthetic babies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which have come a long way. Absolutely. It's not a doll no. anymore. These babies look real. Yeah. But in the industry, they call them jelly babies. Jelly babies. Give me the jelly baby. Because they're uh, largely silicone, right? Which yeah. is kind of gelatinous. They weigh the same as a real baby. They've got like hand punched hair and they've got bones in them so that they have a weight. They won't flippy flop around. Physicality to them. Yeah. But not every actor's good at handling a jelly baby. No. <laughs> and you know, you know, movie and television people, they throw those babies around. Of course they do. <laughs> But so, so shows rent these jelly babies. So a, a, a real baby will be paid about 400 pounds a day. Okay. Wow. We missed the boat. I know. <laughs> but you know what? No, they wouldn't have wanted mine. My triplets were all well over seven pounds. Yes. So they weren't, they weren't preemie. It's me. I was only four pounds when I was born. Yeah. See, was... you would have been great. You would have been hireable for a couple of weeks for a newborn yep. baby. But uh, these jelly babies, they use them when they're going to do like a stunt with a baby or whatever, yeah. right? But now the thing is they have animatronic babies. <laughs> this is deeper than the Omar Sharif hole. I know. <laughs> but so the animatronic babies are really good for like preemies because they can make them look super skinny and they can put them like in an um, incubator yeah. and they can move around and stuff. But you can't pick them up. No. Because there's tons of wires and stuff in their backs yeah. and they weigh completely different and all yeah. that stuff. So there are shows where real babies, jelly babies, and animatronic babies are used in the same scene. Uh, I need to see examples of all these things. <laughs> but I just, I, you know, everybody says like actors, agents are, are, you know, they're a different breed and if they're on your side, they're great. But if not, they're kind of, you know, sleazy or suspicious or whatever. Yeah. But man, if you are an agent who specializes in baby actors, you have a whole nother level of weirdness that you have to deal with. <laughs> do you need a jelly for that or an animatron? <laughs> oh, no, we want a real baby. You want a real baby? Uh, do you want a preemie? Because I could scare that mom over there and put her into labor. <laughs> I got one coming like maybe three weeks, maybe. If I shook her a bit. She's got know, high blood pressure. She's got the clampsia. Yeah. No, that means a fat baby. So, okay. yeah, no. you, don't, you don't want pre-diabetic no. moms. Uh, no. Man, that baby's going to be too fat to work for this. Did you send Georgie over by the fertility clinic? <laughs> he needs to get some more babies. <laughs> more babies. Such a weird job. And then I had this, because, you know, jelly babies, that's, that's what they call gummy bears in Europe, right? Yeah. It's a gummy bear. So then you got this mental image of somebody sucking on a jelly baby. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> like, do they make preemie, preemie jelly babies in lemon flavor or cherry or no? Probably not. Okay. So Pete gets the letter. Yes. That is John told him was coming. The letter that says that the archbishop is recalling him. He's failed in Midsummer Mirror and it's time for him to go. Yeah. He loses his shit. Completely. He is off the scale now. He thinks that baptizing 
Jelly Baby Christine is going to save Midsummer Mirror and his career, and it's not going to work. What is his end game here? I don't know. Once you're that far, you're not being logical anymore. So he kidnapped Emma and the baby. He lures them to the church, I assume, and then locks Emma in a room so he can have the baby. Yeah, what room is she locked in? I don't know, like his office. I guess. And it's like he's going to It's like he's going to exercise Christine first and yeah. then baptize that her. That last scene had a whole kind of last scene of the omen to it. Yeah, cuz it's raining and pouring and thunder outside and you know, he's got the baby and he puts the baby in the big bowl thing, which I thought would be full of water. No, the the fountain, the baptismal fountain would have water in it. You don't put a bunch of water in the fountain because what happens to the bait? Like, I that's, didn't a think, dr- that's a drowning situation. No, I didn't think they ever put the baby in it. I thought they held the baby and put their hand in it and then put it on the baby's forehead. Uh, I don't remember. You don't do full immersion baptisms with no, babies. You don't. You don't do it in the Anglican church. It's a touch your head thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I can tell you, Christine's not crying because of Max. She's crying because her nose is full of bogeys. She's got the bogeys. Every time they show that baby, her nose is full of bogeys. She's got the bogeys. (laughs) One thing I didn't know is that Max has his very own DNA lab. Yes. And he figures out that John is not... Uh, uh, is not a ransom. A ransom. Ransom. Yep. He He's knows a, that. And then DNA results take weeks. And especially, and at it's this expensive. Time. Yeah. Well, he's got money, right? <sighs> so then Tom finds the newspaper article again. He's looking at Mal, who saved the kids. And that newspaper article has a second article. There's a, a, a below the fold article. And that article. UFO videoed over Midsummer. Videoed a word that is weird. Videoed? Yes. Yeah. Filmed? What would we say now? Captured on camera. Caught on camera? Videoed's yeah. a weird word. Yeah. You can't read the article. Oh, man. It sucks because I wanted a uh, Lloyd Kirby reference so bad. <laughs> it would have to be like, we couldn't interview local UFO expert Lloyd Kirby because he's dead. Mr. Leather Pants makes... Troy, not Troy, sorry. Mr. Leather Pants makes Scott play 52 pickup. He tries. I thought that was a North American thing invented by older brothers. All I know is that all of his Romany chums think it's really funny. I I need to look up 52 pickup because where did that, like, that's, a, okay, so 52 pickup. I think it could have been invented both places. It's not like, you know, a really difficult concept to have come up with. 52 pickup is you play it with a brother or sister and you Who say, doesn't you, know what it is. You want to play 52 pickup and they're like, sure. And you drop all the cards and make them pick them up. But I thought it was a North American thing. I Mal guess. does it instead and predicts every card correctly. Of course he does. Cause he's got the second sight off to the church. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. It's dark and stormy night. It's, it's climax of the church. The doors There's won't a, open. The doors won't open. You got to get a, he's got a Hulk out. Frankenmal Franken. pulls a tombstone out of the ground. The incredible Frankenmal. <laughs> and knocks down the front door of the church. And then gets a candlestick to the head. Yes. Whammo. <laughs> You think it should be like one of those Looney Tune things where he goes charging at the door, ah, and Pete opens it, and he just goes right through the church, ah, all the way out the back, and gets conked with a candlestick on the way through. Yeah. 
I, you know, you think he's dead because he said he was going to die in the church he on said, this night and he's out he's, for the count. But we know he's not. But he's not dead. So they get the vicar, they get the baby, everybody's saved. And Preacher Pete is even creepier during interrogation. Yeah. Where they interrogate him in the little room. I can tell you right now, the church is not going to claim any ownership of Creepy Pete. He's yeah. done. Yeah. And then they go to the train station and Cully leaves and Mal is there to give I'm like, Tom his barometer. Trains. Because <laughs> you love trains. You're such a nerd. And Cully's going to be okay. That doesn't take second sight to see. <laughs> I don't know. Is she? It's de- definitions of okay. Okay. And then Mal disappears. Is he Batman? Yeah. It's Malman. <laughs> Frank and Mal. <laughs> the incredible Frank and Mal and his shuffle. <laughs> his mysterious shuff- shovel of doom. And he can also disappear. Why does he disappear? And all the, the in reality. Okay, let's go to reality here. What would happen is if the camera panned a little bit more, you'd see Mal running. Yes. <laughs> what? that and we know mal is not a graceful runner because we've seen him run oh now. my god he's freaking mal run down street save, save kids. children yes let's play game <laughs> so who's the best body we got uh, john gregory and max to choose from i know you're voting for the school but it's not a body i gotta say john john does a great job yeah He's all beat up. It's all beat up. And after the credits, Mal's okay. He's much better off now. I don't think he's going to be a recluse anymore. No, no. There is a winner of this episode. And that winner is Emma. Why? Because she moves to the big house now and has all the money. No, because everything got left to Mal. When did it get left to Mal? Remember Scott calls Tom when he's at Mal's house and says, don't react. Mal is the beneficiary of Gregory's will. That's right. Why would Mal Gregory give Mal everything? I don't know. They never explain it. But I think Mal would probably move to the big house and have Emma and Ben live with him. I don't think he'd want the big house. Yeah, I think he'd give it to them. Yeah, I think so too. He's got a little house with a Stevenson screen. Yeah, you haven't talked about that. Yeah, so Stevenson screens. It's, it's not for doves. They can't get the pigeons in there. No. Uh, they're named after Thomas Stevenson, 1818 to 1887, who was a pioneer in Scottish lighthouse design and meteorologist who designed over 30 lighthouses in and around Scotland. So it's a Stevenson screen. Ah. Uh, as well as the Stevenson screen used in meteorology. What it is is a box... That you put your meteorological, meteorological, good job, stuff stuff in in (laughs) so it doesn't get rained on or blown on. Crazy. Crazy. There's a Death in Paradise episode based on it, too. Yeah. Stevenson screens. So Mal gets to live in his cottage with his Stevenson screen. Yeah. I think Emma and Ben moved to the big house. Jimmy is still a leather panted asshole. Yeah. And Rose and Lull go on caravanning happily ever after. Apparently. And throw some weeds at Tom on the way out of town. also a goer, so. Well, she's wanted in most counties, so. Indeed. They're on the run now. <laughs> they're going to take their six grand and hit the road. No, he didn't get the money back. So that's Second Sight. Yep, which I, it's not a bad episode, but boy. Coming up next. Ooh, boy. Hidden delights. The most creative murder methods. 
that we've had in Midsummer yet. It's one of my top five episodes. Yeah. Hidden Delights. I agree. Hidden Depth. Hidden Depths. It's not only that. Death by Catapult, n- TV, and all kinds of stuff. Not only all the awesome deaths, but the story behind it. There's a kind of whodunit to it. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of illusion to it. Yep. Um, it's a good one for sure. The gardener and his girlfriend. I love them. Yep. The fact that the the wife is completely in the dark. You got to save it for next week. Yeah. It's all it's good. so good. It's really good. Uh, and if you would have asked me, I would have said was a Troy or a Jones episode. <laughs> I did not know that it was a Scott you episode. It was a Scott episode. Well, All we right. only got, so that's episode, it'll be episode six. That There's three Scott episodes left. Yeah. So. All right, maniacs. Stay safe. Stay well. Yes. Please wash your hands. Wear yeah. a mask outside. Laugh as often as you can. Play bridge with your children. Or three, five, eight. Circus C. Two, five, eight. Three, five, eight. Because the rules come in the box. Bridgerama! Bridgerama! Alright, bye Maniacs! This is a weird thing about our dog, and I'll cut this part out. Our dog prefers cooked food over raw food.